Today's episode of the Nick Pop Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. When it's time to get some new windows or a new door, you gotta go with Pella. Why? Well, because they can provide window and door solutions to any home and because the people are fantastic. And you know what else is fantastic? Knowing that you're going to be working with Pella and those fantastic folks with Pella and only Pella the entire time. Do you realize when you go with some other window companies, all of a sudden questions pop up like, well, who's going to install it? Who's going to pre-finish it? They're like, well, now nah, you got to talk to them. Now that you got to holler at them. And now you got to give that person a call. Before you know it, you work with like four or five different people. Ugh, massive headache. You want the convenience and simplicity of working with one company, not three or four. That's Pella. Check them out on the web, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Runza. You guys know I was a quarterback in high school, but you know I believe, totally believe, in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the Runza game. That's an original cheeseburger, onion rings, double-dipped in homemade batter, maybe a little bit of pop to top it off that's ice cold. You know, in football, you establish the run. Well, at lunch or dinner, you establish the Runza. It's that simple. Get to Runza today and get yours and tell them your friend, Nick Baugh, sent you. Well, welcome back to another edition of Husker Classic Recaps. And uh, this is a game that unfortunately left a pretty big scar in a lot of Husker fans' hearts. But it's one of those games where you cannot tell the story and tell the complete tale that is Nebraska football without getting into this game. Nebraska, Texas, 2009 Big 12 championship game. No shortage of storylines, just an an amazingly drama-filled game. You have the infamous one second at the end of the game that gets put back onto the clock. We all know all the heartache that goes into that. This was amazing to sit down and rewatch it and go through all the heartache all over again. Watch the domination of Indomitian Sioux, uh, just absolutely pummeling Colt McCoy. Watch how good that 2009 Black Shirts group was. There's just th- Watching this game was really eye-opening in a lot of different ways, and there's a lot to talk about it. Uh, so this is a really fun discussion. You guys are really going to enjoy it. So let's get to it. Husker Classic Recaps. We got... The Big 12 Championship Game, 2009, number 22, Nebraska versus number three, Texas. Enjoy. You know, the difference between pain and joy is usually pretty big. But in sports, you can seesaw back and forth between those two feelings. And let's be honest, that's what we love about sports. It's what we love about being a fan. The roller coaster of emotions is what makes you feel alive. The highest of highs and the lowest of lows, all wrapped into one experience. Not much else in life can give you that. And I'm not sure there was a greater example of all that than what unfolded in one Nebraska football game in 2009. One second. In life, there isn't necessarily much that can happen in just one second. But in sports, a lot can happen. On a December night in Arlington, Texas, One second kept a national championship alive for one team and snatched a conference championship trophy away from another. Validated all the frustration from one fan base, Nebraska's, about another program in Texas. Spoiled arguably the greatest individual defensive performance in Nebraska football program history. Provided joy and relief to one sideline and anger and sadness 
to the other. And maybe most importantly, proved to be a pivotal turning point in one man's tenure as head coach at Nebraska. All that happened in one second. Football is a game of inches. Well, it turns out it's also a game of seconds. This is Husker Classic Recaps, the 2009 Big 12 Championship game. Number 22, Nebraska taking on number three, Texas. Bo Rude is here. I think we watched this game together, didn't we? We did. I can't remember where we were at, but I'm 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 99% sure that we were watching this game together. I think we were, yeah, we were, and um, I think it might have been at uh, when you lived in Omaha. I yes, say. that's that's that was makes sense. Obviously, in 2009, I would have been uh, that would have been the first year of the Chicken Nick Show would have been in Omaha, and this game, you know, we've we've already done a loss, right? You know, we we did the 1983 Miami uh, Orange Bowl loss. Ozzy go, going go for, for two. two. Yep. This this game is, you know, I've said ultimately, I think that was probably the most devastating loss in Nebraska football history. This one was devastating, but for different reasons in re-watching it. This, this one was fun because it's by far, it's the most recent game we have on our slate of Husker Classic recaps. But this one was, it's amazing. Again, I, I urge everybody to go find these games on YouTube and watch them because I'm amazed at how all the emotions come rushing back to you, even though you yeah. know the outcome. Good and bad. Yeah, I mean, it's very different from the first loss in the sense of the story. The yes. story leading up to it is night and day different. In 1983, this was about Osborne trying to to win his first title. the The greatest team to ever play was just had to just finish off a you know an unbelievable run of you know sure. twenty some straight wins. This was a different moment for Nebraska. This is more recent. Nebraska had taken their first fall, like their first fall from grace. Uh, the Callahan era, era came and went, um, and Pelini was sort of the the savior to, to rebuild the program. No and doubt, he had just basically he was completing his, his rebuild and our our chance to get back to to winning and being on top. So that was that's the difference in the stories. Not even close. Very very different situations, but um, definitely has Nebraska's heartstrings both times. So I think it's important. One thing we try to do each time is like frame the game on a variety of levels where each program was at, where each team was at within their season. I think with, I think I want to do that because I think it's interesting when you look back, especially on Nebraska's 2009 season, quite, quite a season. So real quick, well, let's get Texas out of the way. So they're ranked third. They were undefeated. Uh, they had a Heisman candidate in Colt McCoy at quarterback. They ended uh, McCoy ended up finishing third in the Heisman voting behind Mark Ingram and Toby Gerhardt. Uh, Texas ranked there. This is a really good Texas team. They ranked third in scoring offense, and actually the Texas defense is a really good Texas defense. Number one rush D in the country. Number three in total defense actually higher rank than Nebraska's defense in both those individual categories. So this is a good Texas team that Nebraska has taken on. Um, the 2009 season for Nebraska. So Nebraska's went nine and three in the regular season. So they're coming in, have a nine and three. Remember they lost at Virginia tech. The Virginia tech was the, that was an unbelievable game. Um, a, a terrible loss for us, but that that was the one the standout for me that season. In some ways, that kind of um, set the tone for the game, 
or for the season, excuse yeah. me. Like just where the defense was going to be off the charts good, the offense just not. And the, the and it's weird in a lot of ways that game was in, very similar in a lot of ways to how this Texas game bl- played out. But so really the only the, so there are three losses. They lost at Virginia Tech 16 to 15. They got beat bad at home by Texas Tech 31 to 10. Yeah. And then they lost to Iowa State in Lincoln, nine to seven. The fumble game, the eight turnover <laughs> yeah. day by oh. the offense, eight turnovers, and Nebraska loses nine to seven. But think about that; that's their only three losses. They had to piss away a game at Virginia Tech, and they had what is still in in my lifetime one of the most bizarre, fluky football games I've ever seen in the Iowa State game at home with the eight turnovers. For sure. And they just didn't play well against Texas Tech. I remember they just lay, they just yeah. didn't show up that didn't have day, it. right? Didn't have it. But, I mean, you know, we'll talk about this maybe later, but this team, the potential that that defense actually had. Um, oh, boy. You, know, you, I, look, you look back at Nebraska's, you know, out of their last ten seasons, you could have taken a lot of different – a different one of those offenses and put it on that team. And we're talking about national championship caliber uh, potential. But w- with the offense that we did have, it, we'll get into that. Yeah, more, but, but it, no, you're totally right. You're, you're, the Nebraska defense, and we'll get more into where they – I mean, it's so hard to rank defenses historically in a program. But, like, I don't know, in rewatching this game – I'm hard-pressed to not say this isn't one of the five best defenses to ever in the history of Nebraska football. And the hard part is, if you're only watching this game, I mean, the rest of the season may not have... I mean, this was their shining Their best moment. game. But this they, was their moment. They were number one in the country in scoring defense. They gave up 10 points per game. Think about the games I said where they lost. Nebraska, the defense lost a game where they gave up 9 points, 13 points, and 16 points. Think about that. <laughs> You know, so the defense gave up 10 points or or less in eight games. Yeah. And they were obviously led by one of the greatest uh, individual seasons from a defensive player in college football history. And Sue, uh, Sue finished fourth in the Heisman voting that that's this season. And we're, I mean, the you, you said, I mean, Nebraska, if, if Nebraska has just a serviceable offense, you're talking about a team that could have won a national championship, in my opinion. Just a serviceable one. This offense was really bad. They were 75th in scoring offense, 25 points per game. The offense scored 17 points or less six different occasions. And they just never... What's weird, and we'll get more into this, but what's weird is they actually had pretty good skill players. Like Not bad. Your two running backs are Roy Hallou and Rex Burkhead. Your wide receivers, your top two guys are Niles Paul and Brandon Kinney. Both those guys aren't bad no, players. Niles is good. Niles is a good player. Yeah. Uh, your tight end is Mike McNeil. Not a bad player. He's a pro caliber player. Yes. Yeah. But the issue was just never had good, consistent quarterback play the entire year. The two quarterbacks were Zach Lee and Cody Green. Zach Lee started 12 games. Cody Green actually started two games. And... That ended up being their biggest issue, I'd say, is they just they didn't have a consistent, serviceable QB. And then on top of all of that, they had arguably the best field goal kicker in the country in Alex Henry. Yeah, so they they had it where they needed, it other than a, a couple positions that really mattered. I mean, and Zach's a really good guy. Just yeah. you know, 
it's just that that's that's kind of the, the the nature of it is like when you're when you're playing at the highest level for the biggest prizes like you know it's it's tough. I don't know. I, I don't want to, like, I never want to say, yeah, you don't want to say anything disparaging and drag like, someone through the mud, yeah, but it's like, yeah. he didn't, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. They just, they weren't, I mean, the stat, I mean, I'm just giving you stats, you know what yeah, I mean? It's like, I mean, stat, like oh, they, and, and, and you watch the game and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't whew, great. Right. So I, I, uh, yeah, I will say, and we'll get into watching the game here in a second because there's so many amazing things that happened. Like, Rewatching this game, I would say the defense was even better than I remembered, and I think the offense was worse than See, I that, remember. That's the that stood out. The, I remembered how good the defense was. The offense, I didn't remember being Man. that bad. Real quick, before we get into the game, I think it's important because you have the infamous Bo Pelini after this game. The BCS! That's why I make that call. <laughs> this is when the, the BCS era, where there's a mathematical formula that spits out who's going to play for a national championship. It's different. So heading into the game, the BCS rankings were Florida was number one, Bama was number two, Texas was number three, TCU was fourth, and Cincinnati was fifth. Now, Alabama had beat Florida earlier in the day in the SEC title game. So it was the, the path was clearing. If Texas wins, it's simple math, and the path is there for Bama, Texas, in the national championship game. It's clean. It's clean. It's, it's easy. Clean. No one's going to argue with it. Everyone's happy, right? Yep. And even Kirk Herbstreet and Brett Musburger are on the call, and they kind of lead the game talking about this. If Texas loses this game, it is total BCS chaos because i don't even know T and tcu remember they're big 12 now they were not a power five i wrote then. that down you have to remember tcu was still in the mountain west mm -hmm. and cincinnati was in the big east mm -hmm. this is when the big east was still playing football yep so texas and florida would have both been 12 and 1 tcu and cincy as we said they're in group of five conferences it'd have been total chaos yeah. right it'd have been total and complete chaos so that's kind of setting the stage here but i think it was pretty clear what if there ever was like a a game plan that's simple nebraska needed to control the clock in this game run the ball win field position don't make mistakes let their give their defense a chance to kind of lead the way yeah and nebraska think keep in mind Nebraska had had 14 takeaways in the last five games heading into this one. So this defense was rolling. They were peaking and they were rolling heading into this thing. Yeah. And in, the, in those five games, the defense had allowed 10 points, 3 points, 17 points, 3 points, and 20 points. What, what, was, uh, what week was the Missouri game at Missouri? That would have been week... Uh, probably week four or something like that. Week three or four. I I don't have it. It's a little later in the season. Let me. See. I, I, I'm I'm trying to find uh, trying to find that schedule. Let's see. It is the uh, Missouri was. Oh, it's the fifth week. So I, it was in October. I felt like as soon as they got to that Missouri game, and Sue became a household name. Yep. That was his sort of coming out party like nationally where I think he went from a star to a superstar in college football. And then I feel like, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we laid two eggs in a row after that, but then I thought we were, but, but that's no, when we but started playing right. our, we played our best football after we laid those two eggs, but Sue became a household name. We laid two eggs and then it's, it's, then we're rolling after that. Totally. I mean, but you're right though. That Missouri game kind of puts Sue on the map mm -hmm. um, for that season. Okay. We ready to, here we go. Toe meat leather, Big 12 championship, 2009. Here we go. 
Texas gets the football first. On their first drive, third play of the game, Pierre Allen tips the ball at the line of scrimmage and it gets intercepted by Eric Hag. And I think so often when you're when when you're when you're playing the role of spoiler, you need to kind of set the tone early. Yeah. And that felt like a tone setting play. You got a Heisman candidate quarterback, you put in pressure on him, ball gets tipped, interception Eric Hag. Keeping it deflected, could be intercepted. It is picked off at the 40-yard line. The deflection sent it up in the air, and Nebraska with the first turnover of the game as Eric Hag comes down with it, a junior corner from Arizona. And give Pierre Allen, the defensive end, a lot of credit. This Nebraska defensive line, this is exactly what they have to do. If you can't get penetration and get the Colt McCoy, knock the ball down. And that time, Allen did that, and a very, very good job of being aware by Hag to come up with a crucial interception for Nebraska. The Nebraska takes over. Good field possession at the Texas 41. And the, uh, there's already so many interesting things that happen here. Nebraska gets to fourth and one. They And I don't remember them doing this very much, if at all. Remember, they bring in Sue, Sue yeah. at fullback on fourth and one. And they run an ISO with Burkhead, with Sue as the lead blocker. Rex gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage. And... They say he's short, but the refs review the spot and change it, which I think it probably is the right call because Rex kind of spun off a guy. He was laying on top yeah, of a guy. it was the right call. Yeah. It was the right call. He gets awarded a first down, and Nebraska then goes three and out after that, but all that matters in getting into field goal range for Alex Henry. 45-yard field goal for Mr. Henry. Good. Nebraska up 3 nothing. Next drive, Texas, three and out, punt. Then Nebraska takes over on second and nine. Zach Lee has a really bad throw looking for Niles Paul right down the middle and drifts him towards the middle of the field. The safety comes over, picks it, setting a tone in a negative way for the turnovers for Nebraska. Uh, Texas then takes over. And Dominican Sue, and you can just see it right away. Yeah. The, the pressure and the menacing approach from those front four, in particular Sue, is prevalent right away. Yeah, he, he gets his first sack there in like the first two drives. Yes. And you could just feel that it was going to be a long night for that offensive line and for Colt McCoy. No doubt. So Sue sacks McCoy on first down, and then they get Texas into third down, and you have a great interception from Prince of Mukamara. Five defensive backs. McCoy waits near side. Intercepted. Picked off. That is the second interception. Amu Kamara. And now you talked about the horns. Well, the Cornhuskers with these two, they now have 18 interceptions on the season. Shipley is his primary receiver. Watch Shipley off the ball. Paul McCoy on third down. 
to get the football to him, but even if he did, he's covered. Look at the coverage and the recognition right now by Nebraska's defense. It's almost as if they're in the huddle with Texas and they know what's coming every time Colt McCoy goes back to throw. Along, along the right sideline, they wanted to get it to Shipley. They, some of the all-22 high replays they showed, I was as much as we talk about Sue, and he was great, the, the back seven and their coverage with Gomes, Hag, Prince, Dennard, Philip Dillard, like yeah. th- there was nowhere to throw the football. I mean, that's where, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, watching this, you see some of those sacks from Sue, and he had time to kind of do what he wanted right. because those guys were, they were matching routes. It was like they were gloved up. I mean, Gomes, Gomes was essentially playing linebacker the whole game. Like he was in that, they must have been dime. And nickel, the whole I don't think I saw two linebackers in there, like two real linebackers. Right. It was Dillard and it was Gomes was in the box the whole day. So yeah, I mean, we were we were ready to match routes. And you like you said, you start looking at those names and you go Gomes, Denard, uh Mara, Hag, Hag, and then O'Hanlon and Asante. Like people forget O'Hanlon Asante. O'Hanlon was playing his best football of his career those that that season. And Asante, you know, he played five no or six question. years pro. You know, like right. you forget about Asante and O'Hanlon, but like you had six guys that could all really play. Yes, and so I just the, the coverage was incredible, and Prince's in particular blankets a guy, picks it, and so here it is in the first three drives of the game, Nebraska's got two interceptions, so Nebraska takes over at the Texas forty-three. You're going to hear this a lot. Nebraska goes three and out. They try to go play action on third and one. Zach Lee gets flushed. He throws it away. And setting up Alex Henry from 52 yards, field goal, good. And here it is, a 52-yard attempt. Remember I told you, he's hit a 57-yarder. He whacks it. Looks like he's got it. Brilliant. So Nebraska's now up six to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, but it's also he, he, here's my issue with this. Okay, they start out the game, we take it away from them twice, and we're on their side of the field. Like this is time to score some points, right? Yes. This is where you got to capitalize. You got to get a touchdown one of those two times. It, to me, it's not acceptable to take two field goals there. The, the, you can talk a lot about what happened in this game. Not being able to take advantage of those two turnovers, like that—that's those are shot downs. Those are like you. Sh- this is time to go score. You know, and totally agree. And there's going to be something that happens in the fourth quarter too, where for as much as we're going to talk about the one second thing and all that stuff, like Nebraska had opportunities mm-hmm. for it to never come down to that field goal. It, they they did. I mean, we've already two first quarter, two picks, great field position, and to not come away with seven points on any of them is disappointing. So, and then let me take it a step further. To early in the second quarter, Nebraska stops Texas. Texas comes out to punt, and the punt is blocked <laughs> by Eric Martin. Eric Martin gets in there. They run. They were doing the rugby style, and Eric Martin's able to to get a paw up. He blocks it. So Nebraska now has two turnovers and a blocked punt. Like this is like if you're just like they are checking all the boxes of what they need to do to win this game. 
I think yeah, I think there's like stats. If you block a punt, you win. Like it's like an eighty percent like things like that. Like all those things that, that we're doing equal wins. Yes. Yes. And so and this is where it first interesting moment here offensively. So after the block punt, Nebraska takes over at the Texas 37. The very first play, and some people subscribe to this, any sort of big play, sudden change, some coordinators and people want to take a shot, right? Well, Pelini and Watson decide they, Sean Watson decide they want to take a shot. They go play action, deep pass to Niles Paul from Zach Lee, intercepted. Lori Heller back in as the eye back. Play fake, and Zach is going to throw it. Going to go for it right after the block punt. Paul battle end zone, intercepted. Picked off by Williams. Aaron Williams, his third interception of the season. He picks it off, and it'll come out on the 20-yard line. So, again, it's funny we're already getting into this conversation. Hindsight is 20-20, but there could be an argument to be made of what we're saying where it's like, I wonder if Bo Pelini and Sean Watson thought this Texas offense, top five scoring offense, like they're going to put points on the board. We need to, we can't be kicking field goals. We have to score. But at the same time, when you have a kicker like Alex Henry and a defense like Nebraska's, anytime you're kind of like in field goal range, I don't want to say go into total play it safe mode, but man, like, because with how automatic Henry was, like you were, you were gonna, you were probably gonna kick a field goal and be and get three points out of that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I just my thing was this: like the two interceptions they had, like it wasn't they didn't make good plays. We made bad plays. That that's my problem with our interceptions. Like we did not have a good necessarily play call for what they were doing. Like they they had guys in position and we threw it up to them. Right. Like, right. Those aren't good picks. I, I think a, a good pick is if like some guy goes up and makes a great play, but you have, you know, like a one on one or a, you know, if it gets tipped, it gets tipped, right? That, that Those are ones I kind of go, Meh. but like when you throw it into double coverage a couple of times, like we did, like right. uh, that to me is that's on play callers and quarterbacks. D- totally. And so, you know, I guess that, that but that's a, a wind out of your sails. I mean, because like, yes. you know, you it's like you just, you have two inter, you have two picks, you just blocked a punt, and on the very first play, you throw an interception and give it right back to Texas. Yeah. So, again, these these opportunities for Nebraska are kind of coming and going yeah. for whether even to, to score touchdowns or just score points, period. So, again, just, I can't even begin to, so Texas on their next drive, they did pick up a first down, but then Nebraska stuffs them on third and two, and the the ability to get pressure with just the front four is, like, I keep on writing down, wow, wow, this defense, I mean, there is, they are completely dominating Texas right now. Third down and two, McCoy rolling to the right. with Sue coming up at the end of that play. You can see number 93 was closing in and Gomes again. Yeah, And this is, I mean, Colt McCoy is a Heisman candidate. This is like a high-flying offense, high-scoring offense, and they are just shutting these dudes down. Yeah, I mean, you look at that defensive front four, you got, remember, the Crick next to, to Sue is a huge help to Sue. And then... Terry Turner, Turner, Turner and Pierre Allen are both solid players. You know, both got the that good long athletic bodies, and 
And you know, and those guys, they had they both had great games. Yes. I mean, th- these guys were all playing their best football. And that that was what this I really took away was it looked like everybody was firing in all cylinders. Phil Dillard looked good. He looked like he was Phil, you know, these are guys I all I played with all these guys. So these are, you know, I'm a 2007. Right. These yeah. guys are 09. So these are all the young guys that came up that were, you know, on the team with me. I know all these guys well. And they're all solid players, but None of these guys were those players. A cup. They all sure. developed. They all. Sue is a guy that really developed. I mean, Sue. We knew Sue. This guy is big and he's strong, but he didn't know how to play. And Pelini taught him how to play. Pelini taught a lot of these guys how they needed to play. And it, it's so impressive to see these guys when when they were at their best. They were they were as good as anybody in the country. No, and and I, you bring up a good point. Where like some defenses, like like I feel like the. You know, we did the 94 Miami game in the Orange Bowl. I thought the black shirts in that game, it was just, they just like kicked Miami's ass. Like they just physically beat them up. Yeah. I thought this defensive performance was a combination of just overpowering and then what it looks like when everybody is, everybody's doing their job. Everybody knows exactly what to do. So, so this is where I would give this team more credit than any of the other Nebraska teams like that we've been talking about, this team was as solid in terms of your assignment, do your job and tackle. Like we didn't miss many tackles. No. And so I, I wouldn't say we were, it was as physical as some no. of those other games, but Sue was the most physical guy on the field. And that's where Sue was the powerhouse on his own, throwing people around ragged on the quarterback, but everybody else, I mean, they were executing really, really well. That's the thing. I, I'd love to, at the end, I bet you could count on one hand the amount of blown assignments or or plays where they didn't execute what they were supposed to do. And not many missed tackles. No. You know, I mean, watching the 78 game last week, we missed a lot. We couldn't tackle Billy Sims sometimes. No. You know, we, we played tough, but, you know, we missed a lot of tackles too. Was, part of that is the nature of the game, I think, but... You know, we we tackled well. I thought it, it we just tackled well. Tackled well. Assignments were on point. Execution yeah. on point. It just it's amazing. So then, so Texas has to punt. Nebraska goes three and out, loses yards, has to punt. I mean, Nebraska's offense is full fledged awful yeah. right now. Like, and, I, and I think we should point out the best player we have on that team is Rex Burkhead. But not this year. He's a freshman. He's a freshman. Rex Burkett in two and three years is the best player that's come out of that nucleus, right? Right. Rex is our guy. But at the time, Roy was better than him. And, I mean, Roy just didn't – he didn't really have a whole lot of room to get much going. It's just, it just – like, was that offensive line not very good? I think they were serviceable. But so that I, Texas – Nick, that Texas Well, that's defense, what I'm I mean, they were the number one rush D in the country – they were, I think, third. What I say, third in scoring defense. Like that was. This wasn't just like a a a, a pushover bad Big Twelve defense. This was one of the best defenses in the country that was crushing Nebraska's offense. I'm just saying, like, it's just interesting though because again, like you, on paper, like I guess on paper, outside of the quarterback position, you you wouldn't think this offense would be necessarily this bad. 
they, they're through. not at, like like I said. They're not as Texas bad. Texas is making them look really bad. Yeah, I mean, te- like Texas has some. They got some big guys. Sergio Kendall was, you know, he was he was like you know preseason All American. Acho uh, Earl Thomas. I remember Earl yeah. Thomas is on that in that secondary. Like names like that, you go, oh, fuck. Earl Thomas was right. there, right? So they had they had you know a ton of talent in their team too. But you know, I just I don't think we had a lot of. Um, we didn't have anybody that's just like, just give him the ball and get out of the way type of guy. We didn't really have that. Right, because Rex was a year away from that. And even Roy was, because, I mean, Roy comes back the next year. I mean, they're both underclassmen. Yeah. You know, yep. Roy has the 300-yard rushing game in 2010. Yeah, Roy, you know? like, Roy was better the next year. And, and so was Rex. And, and like, I just think that, like, you know, and Zach Lee, like I said, he, his game was just basically, he was out there, manage the game, don't make mistakes. and But he wasn't going to beat you with his legs. He's not going to really throw it all over the field. He's a game manager. That's yes. what he's there to do. And, you know, he has to play within himself. The only thing you could ask him to do more than what he did was just don't turn it over as much. And so that's that's the part where coaches get mad. And we'll see later when Pelini kind of, yeah. you can tell he was, <laughs> man, he was having thoughts. But, you know, Zach really, like, we don't want to sh- crap on Zach yeah. because Zach was doing exactly what they were telling him to do, which is just manage the game. Right. Totally. So... Nebraska then, like I, like I said, loses yard, has to punt, and Texas has good field position for the first time. They take over at the Nebraska 42, and I would say uh, Colt McCoy started to kind of settle in. Like the, right, right at the end of the yeah. second quarter, Colt kind of found a rhythm, but I think some of it also was like he's under duress and he's making a throw into a tight window. Uh, so Colt makes a couple of pretty good throws. They're driving down. Texas gets into the red zone. Then on third and 13, there's a pass interference call on Eric Hag in the end zone. And this happens later in the game, too, where Hag didn't turn around yeah. to the ball. He's blanketed a receiver, but he doesn't turn around to make a play on the ball. So there's a it's pass interference in the end zone. The ball gets placed at the four-yard line. So now it's first and goal at the four. Colt McCoy has a little four-yard quarterback draw. Touchdown. So you have a nine-play, 42-yard touchdown drive. So after all... All of that, two interceptions, defense ball, and blocked punt. Nebraska's down seven to six that's, at halftime. That's what felt so bad about that first half. Is we're down, we're down, and we played that good. Like we deserve to be up substantially with the way we played, and it, it's just too bad. It's just too bad we couldn't capitalize. Because that's what's so interesting. Like you sit there and go, everything, everything. Nebraska did about everything they could, and they're still trailing. I mean, so I mean, it was. You, you think about at half here at seven to six Texas total domination from both defenses, really. Like yeah. in particular Nebraska's. I mean, what what this what this black shirt group is doing is incredible. Neither offense can do much, especially Nebraska's offense. So Nebraska's offense in the second quarter had ten offensive plays for negative one yard. <laughs> Their longest play from scrimmage for that half was seven yards, and it was the first play of the game. A little handoff to Halu. Nebraska had 32 total yards in the first down and only had two first downs. That's just bad. Yikes, I mean, that's just right? bad. Texas hadn't done much either, obviously. Uh, Colt McCoy did kind of get it going, like I said, at the end of the second quarter. Yeah, and Colt, he, yeah, Colt I mean, you got to remember Colt, too. He, he's a four-year starter. You know, he's a four-year starter. He's got 40-plus wins coming yeah, into this I game. Mean, like it, It's really... Uh, you know, 
he he's a good enough player that even with the way we were you know slamming him around and it, he was good enough that like he made some good throws and good decisions to just to get those yards and to get some first downs right. too you know so Nebraska Colt McCoy was six of nine for seventy yards in the second quarter but Nebraska has four sacks in the first half so here we go with the second half third quarter kicks off Nebraska first drive they get they get to third and one they get stuffed they have to punt. Texas has to punt on their first possession. Then Nebraska's second drive of the third quarter, it's third and 10, and Zach Lee's pass gets tipped at the line of scrimmage, popped up into the air, intercepted by Texas. Yeah. And this is when Pelini starting to get upset. Yeah. And at this point, cut to the sideline, Cody Green is starting to warm up. Yeah, I think was it was this the drive where where Pelini had words for for Zach after yes. the pick? Okay, and yeah, he Zach comes off and Bo's kind of giving it to him, not like he did. He's to not Taylor. losing his mind. But I would say Bo was way all the cutaways from to Bo that were less than I remembered. The only time I really lost it was at the very end yeah. you know like i mean he got upset with a couple pass interference calls but like a lot of coaches get upset at that you know yeah but he i mean he, but he he wasn't losing his mind but he was talking to his quarterback basically you could tell it was one of those things like are you gonna get this together like all right, right. Where, where are you at and, and you know zach was kind of like all right you, know, you like, tell zach right. was a little rattled and and so cody green they give cody green the word cody green's starting to warm up but meanwhile Texas takes over at the Nebraska 32. Here we go. Bucky your chin straps. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. What a fucking defensive stand from this group. Wow. Nebraska forces a three and out. And on third down, Matt O'Hanlon sacks Colt McCoy on third and six for a 12-yard loss, pushing them out of field goal range. And at pushing this point, him back. Yeah. Pushed him, I mean, at this point, these I mean, the defense is walking off the field like, I mean. We are killing these guys. McCoy is stripped down by Matt O'Hanlon. The senior safety. O'Hanlon is going to come off right here. Nobody picks him up. They actually show the blitz. And I think the confusion again, they're showing it and then dropping one guy right as the ball is snapped. O'Hanlon has had a great game tonight. Has had a great game. Eric Hag, Larry Asante, these safeties and their versatility has given this Texas front a just a nightmare to deal with because of the different looks that they continue to give them. So Texas decides to pooch punt it. They were gonna, they were they they lined up like they might go for it, but they pooch punt it and they pooch it all the way down to can the I, one yard can line. Can I uh, make an observation? Why is it when quarterbacks pooch punt it? They get it inside the five more times than normal punters do, and they get, let's say, 20 opportunities. That's interesting. Like I a, really thought a quarterback that. might pooch punt three times a year if they do that even, right? Right. And I feel like they always pin it. Because I think, what was it in the Missouri game in 97? Co- uh, Corby Jones. Corby Jones did the same thing. Pooch punted it and pinned. Puts it the one. Like, I, I see this all the time, and it's like, well, obviously nobody usually is there to catch it. That helps. But, like, well, I don't know. I just feel like... Maybe they should let quarterbacks. No, punch it's it more. I have to. I have to chalk it up that you're you're basically just hitting it like a you're punting a light line drive and letting it kind of roll down there, and so there's no one back there, so it's yeah. easier to do that. But at the same time, you're right. Like most, I feel like 
Pooch punt success rate of penning people inside the 10 is high. I just want more pooch punch from quarterbacks. I just, ha- I just, I watch it and I go, I go, okay, that's, you know, it's one of those things I go, that's enough. I've seen too much, too many good pooch punts. That's interesting. I'm a pooch punt believer now. That's an interesting observation because you're totally right. It. Right. But I think quarterbacks are, they're athletes, you know, and they got good, you know, maybe, maybe these punters, than, yeah, maybe punters, hand eye coordination and is not as good as well, we may, think. Well, you, you do wonder if like, <laughs> Maybe you're better off when you're punting from like that that no man's land range of where like we might go for it, we might not, of lining up with your quarterback and pooching it. And, and you know, I don't know. And I, here, here's the other thing. Maybe this is this is crazy talk, but your quarterback's out there. He's comfortable. He's out there every snap. He's throwing the ball. He's like, so maybe he's just more comfortable. Be like, yeah, I'm just gonna kick right there. Right. Where a punter comes out, he's like, oh, Joe crap. Oh god, I hope I, hope I catch this ball. Whoa, that was fast. Whoa, that was high. Here comes the rush. I just picture anytime they cut to the punter on the bench, I feel like he's reading Harry Potter, and it's like he's just like, oh, you guys need me. You need. Bah, me. you're out there. Go oh, kick one, bah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Oh. <laughs> but you're right. You're you're totally right at this point. Let me finish the chapter. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Harry said <laughs> to Lord Voldemort, not today. Okay, I'm ready to punt. All right, I was it's like, that's pretty much what's happening here. I don't know. God. Okay, so pooch punt inside the one. This is where it's hard. I said Cody Green is warming up. Here comes Cody Green. On the half-yard line. Impossible situation for him. This... I, I wonder from a coaching perspective, when you, I feel like you've kind of committed to like, hey, we're pulling Zach Lee here, we're bringing in Cody. I wonder if you could kind of like, can't go back. You can't go back because because he probably made the decision before the punt. Like, Cody, you're up. Zach, you're Cody, warm you're up. You're going so, in next series. So then you're pinned at the one. What does it tell Cody if you say, hold on? Actually, hold on, just one second. Let's just wait. Zach, wait a second. We trust you more. You go in. So Cody Green comes in, like you said, like the one inch line. And Cody Green has to run two quarterback sneaks, and then he throws an incomplete pass on third down. But you could tell that pass was I will, no, nobody in the arena felt comfortable about that drop back. Like it was like you're like, don't take this sack, and don't throw a pick. And it was that throw was like, ooh. This was, sounds bad given the type of day that Lee and the offenses had had. But the the way Green threw the one pass, you kind of thought to yourself like. Yeah, you probably need to go back to Zach Lee. And they did. And they did. So they so that's Green's day. I do feel bad because maybe in another scenario, Green could have provided – Green was a better runner than Zach Lee. Yes. Like m- maybe Cody Green could have provided some spark, but it's just the football gods were anti-Cody so, so that, Green that night. So that thought right there, bring that back up later when we finish this okay. thing. I had, that, that was one of my points I wanted to take away from this. So – the brass cast to punt from their own end zone, and they punt again. Good field position. This whole third quarter was played on ones on one set. Like Texas was dominating field position in the third quarter, so they get it at the Nebraska forty-five. Nebraska forces a three and out again. Big time defense. And what do they do again? Pooch punt. They pooch punt it again. The guy who was covering it, like he didn't, he could have let it roll into like the. I don't know if you saw that. He could have let it roll to the one. For some reason, he like panicked like yeah. the ball was going to like run around him, and he stopped it at the down it at the six. So Nebraska puts Zach Lee back in, ball at the six. Now all of a sudden, this is where Nebraska started to look a little sloppy. False start, backs Nebraska up to the three-yard line. False start, 
Nebraska backed up to the one-yard line. So then Nebraska has to do basically the same thing where they're just running a couple of quarterback sneaks and dives to give them some room to punt once again. Texas gets the ball, good field position again, at about midfield. First play was the first time I felt like in the chess match between coordinators that I thought Texas schemed Nebraska. They had a great misdirection quarterback draw with Colt McCoy. He has a big gain running the ball. uh, And then two plays later, Nebraska gets a pass interference on Prince of Mucamara that what I thought was a shaky call. Polini thought the ball was uncatchable. He was the, the guy was running out of bounds. I thought so. Yes, but uh, so another pass interference that gets Texas down a little bit further. Nebraska finally stops him, but here comes Hunter Lawrence, the kicker for Texas, who's a really good kicker, by the way. He bangs a thirty-nine yard field goal. Good. Texas is up yeah. ten to six. So Texas kicks off. And Niles Paul has a really good kickoff return, a 43-yard kickoff return that gets the ball near midfield. They pick up a first down, uh, their first first down since the first quarter on a little comeback route from Lee to Brandon Kinney for 13 yards. So think about it. We're, we're late in the third quarter, and it's their Nebraska's first first down since early first quarter. Unbelievable, right? It's hard to, to believe we couldn't manufacture Anything. like manufacture any sort of even gimmicks to just get just to move the chains, keep the ball in our hand. I, and maybe you don't want to do trickery when you got such a good defense, but were you surprised? There wasn't Nebraska never tried any trickery. Not, I thought that was interesting. No reverses, one. no halfback pass, nothing. I thought I, rewatching, I was like, God, at some point. You'd have to imagine they felt like they had to get gimmicky to try yeah. and move it. But anyway, so they first pick up they pick up their first first down since the first quarter, but eventually Nebraska gets stuffed and they has to they have to punt. But the reason I wanted to bring up that drive, at least Nebraska finally flipped the field. Yeah. At least Nebraska got out from the shadow of their own end zone and were able to punt and they pinned Texas at their own ten yard line. So now the now the field got flipped, yeah. which that changes things. But so here comes the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter starting. Texas Texas is up 10 to 6. Texas, like I said, penned at their own 10-yard line. There's another pass interference on Eric Hag where he didn't turn around, 15-yard penalty. I will say this was, again, another, this was probably the only, we talked about the blown assignments. Nebraska caught a break here where there was, I think, Dennard, blew a bit on double a double move but a texas wide receiver along the texas sidelines is wide open and drops a pass it's the only blown pay play from the defense uh but then on it gets to be third and long of course indomitian sue sacks colt mccoy the front four pressure is big time and then texas on while they're punting false starts backs them up even more so now they're punting, yeah. and here comes a huge play in this game. I this is one of the, I always say that there's always a couple plays I forget about. Texas punts. Niles Paul has a huge punt return. Tucker standing back in the Texas end zone. Paul waits near midfield. Tucker booms one. Good field position coming up. 30, 
2,500 to beat. Stretch is free, still going. And it'll be first and goal for Nebraska. Now's Paul, 43-yard punt return. And who tackles him? Kind of the punter gets him. Punter gets him. He could have <laughs> scored. And in fact, I think he should have scored. Well, he needed to score. Not, yes. Not because he made a mistake on the play. It would have been hard to score. We needed him to score because we just... You knew the offense wasn't going to be able to score. we can't score. Paul, I completely forgot... Nas Paul burst through, and you you, you have to find a way to get into the end zone. Yeah, I mean, Niles Paul was our offense with kickoff and punt return. Yes. That was the it. only thing Nebraska had done in the second half was a kickoff return and now this punt return. I mean, it's unbelievable. So Niles Paul gets kind of stopped by the punter, and kind of the punter was one of those tackles where he stopped him and like held on to him a little bit, and then other guys came and got him yeah. down. But the ball gets – he returns it all the way to the 10-yard line. So Nebraska's offense comes out first and goal at the 10, 12 minutes and 40, uh, 55 seconds left, fourth quarter. Three and out. I mean, gosh. Uh, I mean, you're sitting there like one time. I'm, I'm re-watching. I'm like, just one time. Give me your give best – Give me something. Give me your best play and get in that end zone. Give me something. Give me uh, one broken tackle, one nice diagram play to free – give me – one, just one time. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about my good friends at Runza. Boy, did uh, this last read explode on social media because I have uh, let you into a top secret menu item that has really blown everybody's mind. Did you know at Runza, you can get anything on a Runza sandwich? Like, I love a cheese runza, but if I wanted to, I could get pickles on it or mustard. I could put some more onions in that bad boy. I could put some fries in there. It's anything in the kitchen within reason you can ask for, and they'll add it. Again, I'm a cheese runza guy, but next time I stop in, I think I'm going to throw some some pepper jack cheese on that bad boy. Maybe some french fries on it as well. I mean, you can do whatever you want within reason because every runza is made to order. They all start as an original with no toppings, and they can add the toppings when you order, and boom, you got a custom runza sandwich. You can't beat it. So that's, once again, the super secret menu item from my friends at Runza. The build your own runza. Get into runza today. Get one that's just for you, and tell them Nick Baugh sent you. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. Here's the thing. Putting in you know, some new windows or a new door, it, it's really exciting but sometimes you don't even know where to begin. Let me help you out. First of all, you you got to go with Pella. That's obvious. And with going with Pella, there are a couple of directions you can go to start. You can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free. You'll get a Pella expert out to sit down with you, look at your home, and they're going to be able to get a Tom Osborne-esque game plan for you that fits your budget, your wants, and your needs. That's one option. Or option number two, you can head out to the showroom. The showroom is really cool. Sometimes it actually helps you kind of see the window or see the door, feel it, open it, close it to get a better feel of exactly what you're putting into your home. So the showroom is also a great place to start as well. Any direction you go to start, just know that Pella can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home. Check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. We that's just where we had to have something to manufacture points. And for some reason we just couldn't and wouldn't do it. Like no. we wouldn't try something and we couldn't do it. 
brutal. So they they run they run Rex Burkhead and two very uncreative plays to start. The they get stuffed twice. Then they run a fade to Brandon Kinney, where Brandon Kinney catches it, but he's a two okay. feet out of bounds. But here comes Alex Henry, twenty eight yard field goal. It's a layup for him. Good. Texas is up ten to nine with eleven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Big mental blunder coming up here for Texas. Nebraska kicks off. A freshman kickoff returner for Texas catches it at the one-yard line and kind of bobbles it and slips and falls down while holding the ball. So the ball is downed at the one-yard line. So here comes Nebraska. On second down, the Texas running back makes an all-world play to not have it be a safety by Sue. Oh, yeah. Sue gets great penetration, tackles him. I mean, this running I mean, back, he, uh, unbelievable play just to get out of the end zone. Yeah, but Sue Sue just wouldn't be denied. And I, I think we should point out to to the people who haven't, we, like I said, we always want you to go back and watch the game. But for those who have not, understand that it has been a slow and steady buildup where all – Herb Street and Musburger are talking about is Sue. Is Sue. Every play is Sue. Sue is dominating this game, basically from start to finish, where whether he's – he's I think at this point he's had three and a half sacks, like 12 tackles and, you know, a bunch of TFLs and hurries and knock – I mean, he's had – a career's worth of stats. A season's worth of stats. In a great season in one game. Yeah. And – yeah, I hope we're doing a jet. Like he is, you can. Sometimes it's it's hard unless you're a quarterback for you to have your presence felt on every play. I, I there you could feel Sue was involved like in every defensive play. Like in what he flushed a guy, he got penetration, he blew this up. He tri- like it felt like every play Sue was making out even you could hear the crowd the amount of sue the sue yeah the sue you heard seemingly after every play first down and 10 and McCoy's going to put it back up on first down for final receiver sue throws it in from the back side there is the champ sue it is buddy crick from the 31 colt kept it and sue threw him for a loss of a yard and Dominican sue who's going to pick up a lot of right through Chris Hall, and he doesn't give up on the play. Look at him. He's fighting off Chris Hall with his left arm, and he wraps up Colt McCoy with his right arm. Look at him fighting off. He's being held, and he still has that right arm with a clothesline to bring in poor Colt McCoy. Here's the handoff. Newton trying to stretch the defense. Second down and 23, and McCoy back. Going to throw, and has to take off. Receiver's I mean, it, it really was incredible to watch him control that game. And, you know, he he had the ability where he was he was strong enough to go through anybody. He was fast enough to run things down. But he was also smart enough. And he he had like a linebacker's mentality where sometimes he would just yeah. he would take a, a count, look around, and then go, I'm going this way and I'm handling you how I want. But he was he – was, always analyzing the situation and 
it, it was a really it was like unique in the way he did things. He wasn't just like you know point and go. It was like I'm gonna I'm gonna analyze and dissect this and then go make my play and then just you know clobber people but he was just he was handling everybody well yeah because yeah, we t- the other all-time great defensive lineman we've talked about on this podcast was warren sap warren sap had one gear just get up set the hunt field, and get up the field get right? the field and then go f- chase down the ball like bull he, rush yeah ju- like he was sue, more classic d-line yes yeah, sue you're right sue would bull rush Sue would sometimes hit and diagnose. Sometimes, like it was, it was amazing to watch him he, operate. What he had was what I would call is he has a feel. He has a feel when the screen's coming. He has right. a feel when the trap's coming. He has a feel when uh, now's my time to actually penetrate. This is right. my time to sit back, or this is the time that I, you know, he just had a feel. Like it's a, it's a, that's an instinct thing that Incredible. comes with. Just naturally having the instinct and two, like being smart enough to recognize things. And he, Sue's a really smart guy that you don't usually equate that with defensive alignment. Right. Cause usually it's fairly simple. Just see, you know, just said hut, get off the ball, blow it up. You know, like he, he, yeah, incredible. But But the guy, but I wanted to point out the running back makes an unbelievable play for it to not be a safety. For sure. For sure. But then Colt Colt McCoy here is money for a stretch. Huge third down pickup. Colt McCoy to his boy Jordan Shipley for 15 yards. Then Colt McCoy has another 16-yard pickup through the air. And, I mean, these guys are well covered. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they're running wide open. He's just – he's making good plays, and he's finding some talented wide receivers. Then there's another good throw. Uh, McCoy hits Malcolm Williams for a 20-yard gain. So now they're driving all the way to midfield. And then – Dejon Gomes, for as much as we just talked about Sue, I'm not so sure Gomes' play isn't the most unbelievable play of the game. Oh, yeah. It was a great play. On first down, Colt McCoy is trying to hit a a Texas receiver over the middle. And Dejon Gomes somehow, as the Texas guy is trying to catch it, Gomes reaches in with one hand and as he's kind of spinning off him snatches it from him for an interception when it looked like Texas was going to like run the clock out or at least go get points and score and in the game and Gomes makes an all world play they're down again from McCoy in the long Short of the first down and taken away by Gomes. Gomes has got it. Intercepted. What a play by Gomes. It looked like Buckner had the catch and Gomes took it away. Unbelievable effort here by Gomes. But that's the, the that was the signature of this defense is you had so many guys that were playmakers. You had Hag, Amukamara, Gomes, O'Hanlon, Sue, Turner. I mean, you had guys that were all just very Making skilled. Plays. It was a; they were all skilled. It wasn't a bunch of you know. They were all good at football, which that's what I think was very unique about that defense. They all had skill. I think. I hope everybody's watching this. Cause I think it's important to watch these games in preparation for watching Nebraska now, because we. I always talk about this, we fool ourselves into talking certain guys into being really good players just because they're playing now. Yeah. Like, 
Watch the 94 game. Watch the 83 game. Watch the 1997 Huskers. Watch the 2009 defense. Like, these are players. These are ballers that are making – I mean, Gomes, not Sue, not Prince, not – Gomes comes up with an all-world play when his team needed it in the Big 12 championship game. Incredible pick. So Nebraska gets the ball back. Four minutes and 56 seconds left, down 10 to 9. Can we put a drive together? Nick? Here we go. First play. Woo. Zach Lee, zone read, right up the middle. 17-yard pickup. In fact, it was the longest run from scrimmage for the game for Nebraska. Then, on third and four, Brandon Kinney, another little comeback route. Gain of 16. First down all the way to the Texas 30-yard line. Holy bleep. We're doing it. It's happening. We're doing it. It's happening. Under three minutes left. In fact, Mac Brown has to start calling timeouts. Mm-hmm. You you pan to the sideline. Who's warming up at the kicker net? Alex Automatic Henry. At this point, you, you're feeling pretty damn good about this. Yeah. One. So Nebraska intelligently is just running the ball. And even on third down, they just hand the ball to Rex and get it right in the middle of the field. And... Mac Brown has to call it another timeout. Well, and think about like compare to, to our kicking situation this year, right? With Nebraska, where uh, you, you know, just had to get inside fifty, yeah, and you I were mean, like, "This is good." They're at like the thirty, and they're talking like, "Oh, they're just getting the middle of the field." Like we wouldn't even kick a field goal this last year if we weren't inside the like fifteen, right? So Burke Burkehead. Gets to the middle of the field on third down. Sets up a 43-yard field goal from Alex Henry, who just booms it dead he down strikes, the uprights. He strikes it. I mean. It's good. And Nebraska leads Texas 12-10 to 10 with one minute and 44 seconds left. 43-yarder. On its way. He's got it. Nebraska takes the lead. We are a minute 44 away from BCS chaos. With the black shirts. With waiting. With Sue putting his helmet back on. The level of confidence is high. And let me tell you, the level of confidence plummets in just two plays. Here comes Nebraska's kickoff team. Adi Kanalik. Makes one of the biggest mental blunders of the game. And Adi's a great guy. We, got, we a love good, Adi, but... Adi Kanalik, his kickoff, he hooks it left, and it goes out of bounds. So Texas gets the ball at the 40-yard line with a minute 44 to go with Colt McCoy. They have a great field goal kicker. Oh, boy. Okay, everybody calm down. Everybody calm down, right? Well, here comes Colt McCoy. First play hits Jordan Shipley for a 19-yard gain. And Larry Asante gets flagged for a horse collar tackle, which it is. I mean, like it or not, it was clear as day. Horse collar tackle. Here comes the flag. 15-yard penalty. A total gain of 34 yards down to the Nebraska 31. So just a few minutes ago, everybody was feeling fantastic. Two plays. Two plays later, kickoff out of bounds, horse collar penalty. Texas has the ball at the 31. And at this point, if you're a Nebraska fan, your stomach is starting to not feel well. 
it's that's the biggest understatement in the world. Nebraska then stuffs Texas on two plays. Do a good job rattling McCoy. They get him to lose three yards on two plays. And then here comes the play. Well, it was very here's what's interesting. Texas had a timeout. I was just gonna I want to talk before we get to the the you know what happened with one second, like re-watching it. I don't I didn't remember that I'm not sure what Texas was doing. They had a timeout left, and Mac Brown decided to let the clock just run. So it's third and thirteen. They are letting the clock run. Yeah. So so that here's what's hard is uh, you know you're in that situation where it's third down. You want to kick that you got you got to kick a field goal right. So you can't take the timeout too early because you don't want to risk a, a pass where you get a sack. You can't run it because the clock will run right. So like. If you take the timeout early, you can't run the ball. But if you don't take the timeout, um, you either have to run it quick. That's what I would have done. I'd have gotten on the ball and just run, run it quick. I, I think there was that. Whatever the reason, they slow played it and you know ran the sprint out where it was probably throw it near the sideline or throw it out of bounds. But the, it was really weird to see that. I mean, they maybe snapped it with like eight or eight, six seconds. Six seconds. They so that's right. They they Mac Mac Brown and Cole McCoy decided to let the clock run to where they don't snap the ball until there's six seconds left. Yeah, I mean, it must have been let's get four yards to help with the kicking this field goal. But at that point, don't you run it down to two and take and just the call timeout? Time that's what rewatching it. It's it's just amazing what you you almost have PTSD where you omit certain details. Everybody just remembers the one second getting put back on the, the circumstances that led to this play yeah. are bizarre. I've yeah. never seen this in any other football game where a team had a timeout. They let the clock run, snap it with six seconds left. Then Colt McCoy gets flushed and rolls to the right and holds onto the ball for probably too long. And then he airs it out of bounds and it goes out of bounds. Clock expires. Clock goes to zero. Bo Pelini puts his arms up. When Pelini's walking on, the, Nebraska's running onto the field. The clock's ticking. Texas's offense trying to get organized here. Got one more play here before the field goal attempt. Better hurry up. Third down and 13. Roll pocket right. Throw it out of bounds and stop the clock. Wait a minute. Did the game end? Nebraska thinks it's over. McCoy may have run the clock out. Mack thinks there's a second left. I thought there was a second left. I think Bo Pelini should settle down the Nebraska sideline. I think they can look at the clock in this situation. I thought there was a second. The previous play is under further review. They will look at the clock. It's over. And Bo Pelini's got his arms in the air. He's walking with the look in his eyes that we just won this game, right? We just won this game. But you can see the officials are blowing their whistles. Immediately saying, immediately blowing the whistle and telling everybody to get back. And they immediately announced the the previous plays under further review. And so, I guess, looking back on it now, is it when you... The thing I hate to say is review when you if you look at the review, if 
If the clock has to completely stop, the second the ball gets thrown out of bounds, the second it hits anything out of bounds, if the clock has to stop, there was one second left. But here's, here's my issue, okay? Here's my issue. My issue is this, and this is my issue with replay in general, is you do things throughout the game a certain way. If that plays in the middle of the third quarter and they throw that, it takes a couple seconds to stop the clock. Right. Always. That's how you do it. It's not the millisecond the ball hits the ground, somebody's Boom. going over and like, throwing seconds back. So if you don't do something a standard way, to do it differently at the end of the game to me, I think that is a disservice to the game. Okay. And now, okay, you got you got replay. But I also think that's not in the spirit of the rule of replay where you get to decide when and where. We feel this is more important. So now we're going to just do this arbitrary decide where the the, the, the clock should be. I, I, don't, I don't want replay in general. I especially don't like it in a situation like that where, I mean, the game, so the game clock that we could see, the game's over. On the, a different clock they used, which may have been the official one, if you were actually timing up, there if was you, one, there was truly you, one second. Yes, I'm totally with you. If you, if, if someone is holding the game clock, like it's, I'm doing, I'm holding like for people who can't see, I'm hold, acting like I'm holding a stopwatch. Yeah. And you are on that sideline and you got the game clock and you're watching the ball, you're watching the ball, you're watching the ball. And the second it hits the ground, you hit stop. There's one second left. But that's not the spirit but that's of how not, they do but, it ever. So, they but that, never to do your it point, to your point, I bet if you went, if we went back and watched any pass, Throughout the game that, that went threw incomplete, out of bounds or just went incomplete or out of bounds or whatever. I guarantee you about us, you know, like it wasn't as to the to, to the it's actual like split second where it stops. Never. It ne- well, it never is except for a time when this rare situation, like these rare situations happen and then they change their mind to give a team a chance to win a game instead of just like, I mean. The game's over. I was amazed at how quickly the refs felt like they wanted to review it. Because they didn't, you know... You know, because obviously they the, they cut made, to Mac Brown, and Mac Brown is, is immediately holding up one for one second. But it's like, yes. of course, every coach is going to do that. that. But what, 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 here's what's hard to acknowledge is Colt McCoy in Texas, they made a mistake there. The way they handled the clock totally. was a giant risk and a giant mistake... And they made that mistake, and they got rewarded for doing something dumb. I and that's that's the part that I go, it's a 50-50 whether there was a second left on that clock, and you are going to automatically give it to them when you made a mistake. Like I, I'm almost like, look, they made the mistake. Err on the side of that was stupid. Why would I reward you? I, I that's my, The biggest thing I forgot about that play was how bad and poor – of a job Mac Brown and Colt McCoy did leading up to that play. It's it's unbelievable what they did. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. They they, they really lucked out. Oh, big time. And I guess I'm just surprised at how quickly, you know, a lot of times, like, there are times refs want to just run off the field, right? Like, if the clock, like, the game ends, yeah. it's, like, they just want to get off the field. I was surprised at how the how fast the refs immediately wanted to review it, too. Well, I, I think, you know... <laughs> You know, Cole McCoy, he can say what he wants, but if you're throwing that away, you should have thrown it right at a Nebraska player on the sideline. Colt McCoy, McCoy is... Because it sailed, in those extra few seconds, the ball sailed, and there was it didn't touch anything, and it keeps going, that extra second or two of sailing over the top and down. Here's, you're, I mean, I'm telling you, I was frame by framing it, and on the, 
the the main game clock, it was basically by the time you could register the ball had hit, it was saying zero. But then, like I said, they showed another clock that who knows what clock that was, um, that they called the official game clock. But the one that's the TV that you can rewind and look at, I mean, it's it's a zero to me. It's an if if there, I'll just say if if one second doesn't get put back on the clock, it's an all time blunder from Mac Brown and Colt McCoy. That that would have cost them a trip to the national championship at what was one of the most mismanaged situations late in the game from them. Yeah. You know, it was horrible. It reminded me of Magic Johnson, I think in the is the 84 finals where he he dribbled Tragic Johnson. Yeah, yeah. they they call him Tragic cuz he dribbled it out and didn't take a shot and he just sort of lost his awareness of the game. And that to me was a little what happened. It was like, okay, they kind of had a direction, but it's like, did they not realize like you got to leave yourself three or four seconds? Like, I mean, again, the why would they you... had a timeout and they had a timeout? Like, it's yeah, unbelievable. Th- I mean, that decision truthfully... making got rewarded too, and that's the part that I go that that really bothers me. Is like, look, this is a this is a decision that was to me. It's not a no brainer. That's a decision the refs have to make, right? And they just. For for some reason they they were just like unbelievable. Oh, this is, this so is yours. Yep, you get so it. throughout the review they they decided to put one second on the clock. Of course, Bo Pelini is ready to murder everybody, which I don't blame him. And Nebraska Nebraska has a timeout left. They call it to ice the kicker. But here Hunter Lawrence forty six yard field goal goes through the uprights. No, barely weeks. Yeah, squeaks inside in. the left upright. It was about a foot in. I mean, it was a squeaker. It just slid in. Ball game. Texas wins the Big 12 championship 13 to 12. Your 46 yard. For everything. Got it. Texas goes to Pasadena. I think we all had our hands on our head. I just remember, I remember just being like, when you put your hands on your head because you don't know what else to do. It was, it was astonishing and devastating in the moment. Even rewatching it, it still is like, wow, wow, and that unreal. And, and we'll get into what that means. Yes. It, it, so it, I think it means a lot. Couple of couple of things with the box score, real quick, before we get into our final awards. So, I mean, Nebraska's quarterbacks for the day were 6 of 20 with three interceptions and and 39 yards. Exactly was 6 of 19, 39 yards through three picks. Nebraska had 67 total yard had 67 yards rushing. Nebraska had 106 total yards. Nebraska only had five first downs for the entire game. I mean, how many how many rushes did we have? Does it say how many we, rushes? I had it. I clicked out of it. Rushing. I mean, Halou had ten. Burkhead had seventeen. Lee it was had like six. thirty-five or something like that. Thirty-five carries. Thirty-five yeah, attempts. It looks like about that. Looks about right. Yeah. So 10, 17, 20, Yeah, thirty-two. Okay. Yeah. So like thirty-four-ish. Um, but if you can't get a hundred yards rushing on you know thirty or forty carry, it's just like what? But they had five first downs for the game. They have five first five, downs and 106 total yards. Five first downs. For the whole game. Alex Henry was four for four f- field goals. Uh, 
Nebraska sacked Colt McCoy nine times. Sacked Colt McCoy nine times. Held Texas to 202 total yards. And Texas had 38 carries for 18 yards rushing. Dang. I mean, this was the kind of box score where you look at it if you're a defensive guy. At all the defensive stats, you're like, wow, what a game. And all the offensive stats are like, I need to go puke somewhere. I know, but you know what? I mean, the difference is that 100 yards they had. I mean, another 100 yards, how do we not have a touchdown? That's the thing. All we need is another 100 yards, and I think that manufactures us one touchdown. All right, should we get to the final awards? Let's give them the awards. Final awards brought to you by Allo. I've told you, I've made a lot of decisions in my life, a lot of, lot of, lot of bad ones, a lot of good ones. When I moved to Lincoln about a year ago, going with Allo for internet and TV, fantastic. What is it about Allo, Bo, that, that Nick, is good? I'm, I'm telling you, I know this now. It's all about fiber. It is the fiber, the all-fiber network in Lincoln and across the state, second to none. I'm telling you guys, the, the internet is incredible. The reliability, the speed, amazing. In my household, my daughter can be streaming something in one room. My wife can be streaming something in another room. I can be streaming something in another room, downloading a game, whatever. And everything is smooth. There's never a hiccup. And working from home, you better have some good internet if you're doing some Zoom meetings and all that stuff. So internet's never been more important. So make the switch. Go to allofiber.com. Fiber.com. That's allofiber.com. And while you're there, tell them Nick Boss sent you so they know who sent you the aloe direction. Okay, my friend. <laughs> Unsung hero. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, I'll go first because you just gave it to me with the last uh, one of your last stats. Alex Henry, four yeah. for four. Um, I didn't even think about that going into this game. And I'm you like, take it for granted. That's what that's what greatness is. You just took it for granted that that Henry was not going to miss. I mean, there's so many good defensive performance. I want to give it to one of the guys, but like four for four, um, and they were not easy kicks. Like they were, some of them were difficult. Forty five. He was he, he was four for four from forty five yards, fifty two yards, twenty eight yards, forty two yards. I mean, bro. Other than the twenty eight yarder, it's not like those are yeah are gimmies. Yeah. So that's. That was pretty impressive. So I'm, I'm going to go there. Did That's you, where I, I wrote down to, to spread some love. Uh, I mean, you could have picked a lot of different guys on the defense. I, I still and Dejon Gomes had five tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. And his interception is an yeah. unbelievable play. Yeah. Prince also had a really good game as well. Uh, I thought Matt O'Hanlon had a good game. O'Hanlon had a good game. O'Han- yeah. O'Hanlon had a big sack. Uh, a great open field. A tackle. great open field tackle. Uh, I think it was in the first half. Uh, you, I mean, you, there was. Uh, that's what's amazing is, yes, Sue had an all-world performance, but like there were multiple other dudes on the defense that had amazing games. Everybody played well, and Sue played. I mean, the best game we've ever seen a defensive player play. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. So there you go. So Alex Henry is probably our pick, but you got to give a little love to some other black shirts, and in, in in particular, Dejon Gomes, like his interception. I need like, I mean. That interception is one of the best plays, all things considered. Because the one thing I would have given, if if Nebraska wins that game, they don't win that game without Deshaun Gomes' play. I mean, no, he gave yeah, they had to make a play late, and he did. All right, uh, excited about this. Pop culture awards. Okay, people that oh. listen to this know that we are obviously going nostalgic. Usually, we're you know we're talking about movies from 1978 and from what 83. What were we doing in 09? What were we doing? Oh, we were partying. We were partying it up pretty good. But we were also watching some decent movies. Pretty sneaky. Decent year for movies in 2009. Avatar, uh, The Hangover, a bunch of good ones. 
but we have we have selected uh, two here. You want me to uh, what's get the things first, started? Yeah, what's the first award? <laughs> a little movie called Taken came out Ooh. in 2009 where Liam Neeson was very upset and on a revenge tour. <laughs> and the reason we chose this is because this was like it felt it felt for the Nebraska fan base that the BCS, the Big 12, Texas, the referees they had taken our trophy. So the I have a very particular set of skills taken award goes to who here? Well, it goes it goes to uh, I guess I gave it away. The Big well, 12. yeah, you yeah. said the, 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 it's got to go to the Big 12 yeah. and the BCS together, right? And because, the refs. And the refs because they took our game. Yes. They took it from us. They flat like Liam Kid, Neeson's daughter. No, Nick. They kidnapped it. They kidnapped that. Can you not? It's our trophy. Can you not? Nick, it's our trophy. Can you not picture Bo Pelini picking up the phone and making the phone call that Liam Neeson made? We can cut that in, right? Oh, yeah. Let's cut it right here. Right here. Can't you picture this phone call? Bo Pelini to the BCS, the Big 12, and the refs? Exactly. There you go. I will hunt you down. That's how we all felt. That's how we all felt. We were making phone calls. I told there him. was a kidnapping, and that kid was yeah, well, The trophy was taken. It was taken from Nebraska, just like Liam Neeson's taken. daughter was taken from him. <laughs> I asked my wife this question earlier. Over under the amount of people Liam Neeson killed in pursuit of getting his daughter back, was it north of 25? North of 25, less than 50 probably. <laughs> Think about that. I want, like someone one time actually... St- did the stats of Rocky and all his fights, like versus Drago, like punches landed, all that stuff. Someone at one point gave Jimmy Chitwood's stat line and the Hoosiers. I want an official body count for the amount of people Liam Neeson killed in his pursuit of getting his daughter back. Ooh, I wonder if that's... Something. That's got to be on the I'm internet. Has back an answer to like for the, some of the Rambo movies and some of those movies. The kill counts. I feel like Jason got. Bourne probably killed a lot of people. Did Bond kill a lot of people? Bond wasn't a volume guy. Rambo was a volume guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rambo was a volume score. Bond was way more of a. Okay, special. here's the question: Did James Bond kill more people in all of his movies total, or have sex more, more sex women? than killing? <laughs> Bond was definitely he. You know, he liked the. You know, he wanted to he kill looked, one guy, then put on a tux, go get a yeah. martini, and take some chick home. He looked for balance, but he usually skewed towards the ladies. So, <laughs> yeah. but I'm telling you, Liam Neeson, dude, was killing. I mean, it's north of 25 people. He yeah, my, killed. My wife went to Europe, and her dad made her watch that before. He went to Europe because that's what, was that's what dads op- think. That was an eye opener for everyone. You're like, whoa. For every dad. Oh, like, my God. Very particular set happened. of skills. All right. That's the first pop culture award. I, 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 sorry, I blew that one. On yeah, you gave the answer before. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'm just I, too excited I about it. I'm too excited about it. What do you got for me, brother? All right. So uh, my award's another movie from 2009. Um, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite actors... Clint Eastwood, of course, was in this movie. So, the this is the award for the the Grand Torino. Get off my lawn! 
award goes to who? It's got to be Indomitian Sue to Colt McCoy. <laughs> I knew it. Yes. Four and a half sacks and one. The emphatic, he literally was basically throwing Sue off of his lawn. The The pocket was Sue's lawn, yeah, and he Sue threw, threw, him, threw off. Yeah. him off his lawn. That I think that was the play I was thinking of, actually, yes. that that related to Gran Torino. So, yes, that's that's the Get Off My Lawn Award. Oh, that's just fantastic. I wish we, I could... I could do a whole podcast of just picking movies from years and then bending them for awards for different <laughs> things in like sports. It. That's fantastic. Taking Gran Torino. Those are your pop culture awards. All right. Uh, you know, it's always hard to give an MVP in a losing game, but it's pretty freaking obvious who the MVP of this game Easy. is. Easy one. Indomitian Zoo. Here's his final stat line. Ten solo tackles, two assisted tackles for 12 total tackles. 12. Six Tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. That's unbelievable. That's a defensive tackle. Think about that. That's that's a really pretty good stat line if you have the inside linebacker and a defensive <laughs> end having both good games, like career games for a couple guys. Like that's awesome. Twelve tackles, six tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. And and like a bunch of other near like flushed Colt McCoy had to, I mean, it was you know, sometimes I was interested in watching this game, and it's funny when you watch these games. Like, did, did things get embellished over time? You know, like, do we like you know by no. when we talk about it, like Sue tackled a guy, by tell you what Sue in 09. You sometimes there are times you go back and you're like, ah, that that wasn't as good as I thought it was. The, his performance, and I would extrapolate it to the entire defense. The defensive performance from Sue and that entire crew was better than I remembered, and it was amazing in my mind before I sat down and rewatched it. Yeah. Sue, Sue had of his 12 tackles, six for loss, four and a half, like call it eight of those plays are signature highlight plays. Right. that You would say for a career, you would be like, that makes my career highlight. You know, he's over the course of four he's clothesline tackle. He, he, he grabs McCoy and, like slams him. He does the spin throw McCoy. He does the run McCoy down, drill him out of bounds and about knock him out of the game. The almost safety, the, the chase. I mean, Nick, every play right. was like a highlight too. Yes. It wasn't just, Hey, he made a little easy tackle. It was like, he did it with flair with like, Oh, I mean, it was amazing. The, the play that I, that was so cool was that in the first half, he's getting like double teamed. He holds a guy off and his, shoulder pad is getting pulled all the way so you can just see you see a shoulder in his arm and he one hand tackles some dude and just brings him down with just one giant arm yeah it, he he went superhuman that day and I, I i mean i've i don't know that i've ever seen a better defensive game in my life i really I, have i think it is and that's so why i wrote, said it in the open i think it's the greatest individual defensive performance in Nebraska football history and maybe college football history. Well, let's think about this. So Sue was there was rumblings this guy could be uh, in the Heisman Trophy talk, but it really was it was Ingram and, and Colt McCoy, Toby Gerhardt, Gerhardt were the three guys. You know, but, yeah, I mean, but really, I feel like it was Ingram and McCoy. It was Ingram and McCoy, and then Sue has that game, and specifically kind of does that to McCoy, and I think two things happen. Sue. Goes into the Heisman race now. And I think McCoy loses the Heisman because of this game. 
But in reality, I, there weren't a bunch of biased Southern voters that wanted to give it to a, a, an SEC to Mark player. Ingram. Mark Ingram had a very decent year with a great Alabama offensive line. But Sue had a a, a, a season for the century. She's like, a, it was that good. And that game should have won him the Heisman, in my opinion. There, Even though Mark Ingram won the Heisman, I think in the moment and here even a decade removed, who was the most outstanding player in college football? Who was the best player in college football that season? It was Sue. It, it, it's almost, if you look at getting robbed on Heisman trophies, there's been a, there's been a few yeah. over the years. I, I think that might be the most the most egregious like that one was obvious right that and the thing is that game was before the Heisman Trophy uh I believe before the vote yeah happened yep. right so that game should have put him as the Heisman Trophy winner because like you said Herb Street and Musburger they talked about him all game long and he didn't deliver he gave the game of this like of a defensive player of that of this century in my opinion I totally agree which is like, doesn't that give you the Heisman? I would think so. But, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I thought I thought the dude was all-world good. I thought it was an all-world performance. Upon rewatching it, he was even better than I remembered. It's as good as you can do. Okay, as we wrap this up, legacy of this game. There's a lot to unpack on this. Do you want me to start? Get going. I, I need to think some more here. <sighs> I think the legacy of this game is, I think when it comes right down to it, this is the ultimate butterfly effect turning point in Bo Pelini's career as head coach at Nebraska. There are moments that you can reflect on that if the outcome is different, maybe everything after that goes different. And the butterfly effect for Bo in this game is huge. I think the toxic nature, the climate around Bo, the climate around the program all changes if they don't put one second back on that clock and Nebraska wins, it gives them a conference title, which they hadn't had in a decade. They beat Texas, who everybody hated. And I then think they are more apt to handle everything that followed better. Like, remember in 2010, they put way too much into the Texas regular season game. Yeah. And they lose to Texas in Lincoln in 2010. I think they'd have been more apt to win the 2010 Big 12 championship the game. Monkey, the monkey's off their the back. When the monkey's off your back, yeah. when you win one, it's it's funny how you're just – the it's you relax. Like, T.O., he finally wins in 94, so he wins in 95. He, yeah. You know, and, and he should have won in 96 and then wins in 97. No like, you sometimes you just got to win one. Now, the counter to that is – Bo Pelini kind of is who he is. He always was going to be combustible and not handle the fishbowl overly well at a place like Nebraska. But I just think a lot of that stuff calms down a bit if you hang a conference championship banner. Exactly, right? So I think it's, I think the biggest legacy of this game is I think one second changes the course of Bo's tenure at Nebraska. I think that's very fair because like you're talking about, Bo Pelini got on the bad side when he started getting criticized badly, right? Like he started getting into it, the media, and then after Osborne left, the administration. Because Osborne and him were, would Tight. always see eye to eye, right? And Ozzy's going to take care of his coach. If Bo Pelini wins the title... And then probably wins another one the next year. 
how quick are people going to be to criticize him? Not, not, not very. The media is going to give him. I mean, when they wait a decade, they'll probably give him another decade, right? They've, they're going to be on, better. If he wins, if he wins one or wins back to back, you're he, not right. Dirt. You're not writing that column. You're not. I'm not coming on the radio and giving that hot take. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just not instead, happening. Instead of the guy that can't win, and here's why: it's like he can win if he's got players, and um, he turned a, a program that was falling like on its face around that quickly. I mean. The story's different, and I think Pelini's attitude never has to go on the defensive. He can be himself, his best self, which is like when every like when when he's not having to fight the outside. He can just be a football coach. That's when he's I, I great. Totally agree. When he's coaching football, the dude's unbelievable. But like when I you totally make agree. him, when you make him have to fight people it, accusing him, it's not his strength. And. This is a reality of life that, like, the more success, fair or not, the more success you have, the more people are willing to overlook certain things. So some of the sideline behavior, blowing up on refs, all that stuff, you're you're less apt to get upset about that if you're the fans or correlate that with performance if you have two champ- a championship banner or two. And you maybe, just are. And maybe Bo, like you saw Tom, Tom Osborne in 1978, right? Right. Like a rare time where he got emotional. Animated, yep. Like Ozzy in 1994, by that time he'd won. Um, uh, he'd won a bunch of tit- conference titles and things and, you know, he hadn't won a national title, but like he was stoic by then. Like I, there, there's something to winning that calms everybody it would help Pliny recruit it would I mean all these things are good and once again it's a woulda coulda shoulda that we we right. like to part of the fun of going back is I, I actually like kind of going through that exercise but, but I, that's what I, I think that's the main legacy of this is yeah. if this it, the, the legacy of this game is the one second getting put back on the clock I think alters Pelini's career well, at I, Nebraska I guess the only other takeaway would be you know Taylor Martinez and being able to just be explosive with running the ball. I think that game they were going to go with Martinez immediately. Like, Great point. You know what I'm saying that, that's like, what I guess the thing that's amazing is like with largely the same cast of characters, but you just insert Martinez and that offense the next year was pretty electric at times. Now it had a yeah. few moments where it was where Taylor was still young and couldn't throw and all that stuff, but like. You're right. I think that game made Bo go. We we have to do something different at court. Yeah, we can't do game. You know, we can't just manage games anymore. We need to have a playmaker. Yeah, there. and I think he specifically wants somebody that can run the ball, like a playmaker that can run this fast and can run that ball. Like, the the other lasting legacy of this game, the other is I do believe right or wrong. I think. What unfolded in that game helped continue the erosion of Nebraska and the Big 12. And it helped continue to pour gasoline and fuel on the fire of the anger towards Texas, which all ultimately led to Nebraska being open to going to the Big 10. Mm-hmm. So I also think it was now there's a law. It's just like anything else. It's never just one thing. But I think this was one of the moments that okay. people think about. I got a question for you. Yep. We win in 09 and maybe we win in 010. Do we stay in the Big 12? Well, because here's what's 
tough about that is Nebraska had already, it was already understood that they were going to go to the big, remember they played the entire 2010 season, which with understanding that it was pretty much in 10. So, because remember that's the whole, that was their whole thought. Remember at Texas A&M that they thought the big 12 was trying to screw them and they had 13 penalties or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if they win on, if they win nine, oh nine. I don't think so. I I don't think so because I still think people have to remember there there were so many rumblings going on that Texas was going to go independent. Yeah. The te- like there was a lot of people that thought the Big Twelve was just going to crumble. Yeah. So I think what Nebraska. I think more so than anything, Nebraska felt like they were on the Big Twelve was a sinking ship and the Big Ten lifeboat came. And they jumped onto that because they thought, I mean, if you, I'm telling you, if when in 2010, if you would have told me, will the Big 12 conference be around in 2020? I'd have said no. It was looking like that. Because Texas was flirting with going to the Pac 12, independent, or the SEC. Missouri goes to the SEC. Colorado's going to the Pac 12. It looked a- like, A&M, yeah. a- like it looked like it was falling apart. So I think for as much, it, it, it's like I said, it's never just one thing. So to answer your question, I don't think so but i guess it just it all these things Mm. add up you know they all add up but that's uh there's a lot in that game there's a lot in that game and i know some people like i tweeted out through to this game like oh my god why are you doing this game i'm like i think you can't tell the story of nebraska football without this game oh yeah like if we're if you and i start teaching a class at unl called nebraska football history 120 it's pass fail we're not gonna. We're, we're gonna help you, <laughs> help you out. But we grade on a curve. We're gonna grade on a curve. But honestly, I would. I would have this game in there. I think it's important in the arc of understanding what the tale that is Nebraska football. Part of I think part of our with this Husker Classics is these are the games we talk about the most. Yep, and that's the truth. Like sometimes you talk about the losses as much as you talk about the wins, and so I think we we're gonna have more wins on Husker. Classics, oh yeah, but we're not gonna avoid talking about the big losses because they're just as important 100 percent. so there you go husker classic recaps 2009 big 12 championship texas on a last second field goal bo's doing the hook em, horns down you still anti-texas we're all still anti-texas right never never forget people oh, they never forget 13 to 12 on a last second field goal somewhere we need liam neeson to go after the big 12 All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online, on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.